Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We are so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. We are in the middle of a series entitled Forward Progress, where we're taking a look at the church uh, last week we talked about worship. Worship is, uh, weekend worship is kind of like the front porch of the church. It's phenomenal, but you were never meant to stay there and go no further. This weekend we're talking about church membership, all right? Church membership, and so many people are so excited right now. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read a ton of 1 Corinthians 12, about half of the chapter to set up this entire message. The title of this message is Benefits of Membership. Benefits of Membership. Now notice I use the word benefits, not the word privileges. Okay, there, there's a very important reason why I used the word benefits rather than privileges. If you think about this, privileges are extended to you. Benefits are earned by you. Let me say it in a different way. Uh, in your workplace, the first day of your employment, they did not give you two weeks of sick time. You had to earn the benefit of sick time, right? You, you had to accrue it. Is that correct? Okay. Too many Christians look at the church and think of it more like a country club where privileges are extended as long as you pay your dues, okay? But the church was never meant to be a country club. The church was created to be a family. So when we talk about membership, we're not talking about country club members. We're talking about family members. And I am going to talk about the benefits of church membership, but... I'm not doing it to convince you that's why you should be a member of a local church. And, and listen, I'm not trying to grow the membership of this church. I'm trying to grow the membership of the church. Maybe you're just visiting, you're from out of town, and, and you go to a different church, but you've never become a member there. Listen, I want you to become a member of the church where God leads you to go. Not just to attend, but to grow. At any church, wherever you plant down your roots, you need to be a member of that family. So understand, I'm not just trying to grow the membership role of this church, all right? Now, I, let, me, let me give you kind of, in my opinion, the three stages of relationship to the church, all right? This is just my opinion, the three stages of relationship to the church. Here's the first stage, the we attend phase. We attend. I attend Gateway Church. This is kind of uh, similar to the dating phase in a relationship where you don't just come to a church and propose the first time you come, right? You need to do your due diligence. You need to be around for a little bit. You need to get the heart of the pastor, get the heart of the staff, get the heart of the church, see how they're governed, see, uh, you know, theologically where they stand. You don't just propose the first time you meet someone when you go on a date in the same way. 
there is a season as it relates to believers in the church that's a little bit like dating. Now, no one wants to date forever, right? You date with marriage in mind. That's what we're teaching our children right now. You date with marriage in mind, okay? In the case of my daughter who just turned 15 this week, uh, a long time from now, but, but you date <laughs> with marriage. I'm not as worried about the boys. Isn't it amazing how that happens? The girls, it's like, no, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready, but daddy, I'm ready. I'm not ready, okay? I'm just not ready. <laughs> you don't date forever, all right? So the we attend stage is the first stage, and there's nothing wrong with attending a church in the beginning. It's a period of due diligence where you're, you're checking out the church, looking to hear the Holy Spirit speak to you if this is the place where God's calling you to make your church home. The second stage of relationship to the church is what I call the, the we go to stage. So there's a difference between we attend Gateway and we go to Gateway. When someone says, hey, where do you go to church? And we go to Gateway. There, there's some conviction or whatever church, but I'm just going to use Gateway as, as the example this weekend. We go to Gateway. Okay, this is a little bit more committed than just dating, all right? This is more like engagement, all right? When you're going to church, you're not just attending, checking it out. You're going to church. You're not quite a committed member, but you're going to church. Okay, in the same way uh, that you don't date forever, nobody likes to date forever, at some point, Every engaged couple that stays engaged too long is asked the question, how come you guys haven't gotten married yet? Okay, listen. There are a lot of engaged Christians as it relates to the bride of Christ. A lot of engaged Christians who would say they're committed, but not actually fully committed. Which leads to the third stage. That is the we're members stage. So if the we attend stage is like dating, due diligence, and the we go to stage is more like engagement, then it stands to reason that the we're members stage is like covenantal marriage. Now I'm not saying you marry the church, okay? But I am saying that God created us to have a covenantal relationship with the bride of Christ. And, and here's what covenantal relationship sounds like from my perspective as a believer. I'm all in through thick and thin. I'm all in through thick and thin. I'm not going to have a casual relationship with the church of Jesus Christ. I'm not even just going to have an engaged relationship. I'm going to have a covenantal relationship with the church of Jesus Christ. Okay. Let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read a ton of verses. So if you have a tendency to fall asleep after about eight verses, you're going to get a good nap tonight, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit... We were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? 
And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Now pause there for a minute before I move to verse 19. You will hear me say consistently and even constantly that I personally believe God did not create you to choose where you go to church. If you come talk to me as a church shopper, you're going to get a very glazed look from me because I personally believe that the Bible does not say that as a believer, you choose where you go to church. I believe it's a decision where to be led by the Holy Spirit that God helps us know. And I just read it. This is where I get it from. God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Not as the members pleased, but as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, these members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body, which think to be less honorable, on those we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. We're going to talk about this later in the message but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Okay, before we jump into some of the benefits of membership as it relates to the body of Christ, let me make this statement. One of the ways that we show we are connected to Jesus Christ is the way in which we connect to the bride of Christ. I cannot be a fully functioning member of the family of God. I can be a member of the family of God, but I cannot be a fully functioning member if I have a casual dating relationship with the bride of Christ. So let me give you four benefits that come with membership as it relates to the local church. Here's the first benefit. Membership provides safety. Membership provides safety. Now there are two areas where I'm gonna talk about uh, safety, where safety is provided. Here's the first one. Safety spiritually. We are safer spiritually in the local church. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Okay, now I have heard Christians use this verse to kind of be anti-leadership in the church. Well, pastors just, they kind of lord over you. They, they rule over you. They, they just think they're at the top of the food chain. Okay, when I read Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, I don't pay too much attention to the obey your spiritual leaders part, do what they say. Okay, here's the part I pay the most attention to. They are accountable to God. 
You don't have to worry about me. And Lord willing, anybody on this staff reading Hebrews 13 verse 17 and going, I rule this ministry. It is mine. And they are all loyal subjects unto me. No, that's not what Hebrews 13, 17 says. It says that as a pastor, that I'm going to be held accountable by God for the condition of your soul. Part of my job is to protect your soul, spiritually speaking. Now, what does that mean? Listen, we can't always read our own souls perfectly. There's a word that oftentimes comes into play when we think about trying to discern how well we're doing. It's the word deception. When we evaluate ourselves, we are prone to deception. Here's another way to say it. This is one of my favorite one-liners that the Lord gave me for this whole message. It is easy for us to be doing something that is sinful, but convince ourselves it is acceptable. One of the roles that the church plays involves church discipline. Talking about two of your favorite subjects. Church membership, church discipline. Isn't this amazing? I know you're so excited. Listen, God said, I discipline those whom I love. Discipline is about keeping you from playing in dangerous streets. All right? Now, listen to what the Bible says about how easy it is for us to deceive ourselves. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. The human heart is the most deceitful. Not a politician, not an eight-year-old child who's learned well how to lie. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who even really knows how bad it is? King David in Psalm 19 verse 12 said, how can I know all the sins lurking in my own heart? He's admitting the heart is deceptive. The reason we need to be protected spiritually, and I'm including myself, the reason we need to be protected spiritually by God through the local church and the leadership of the church is we need to be protected from ourselves. Listen, this church makes a commitment to you. We will protect you from you. You may not always like it. You may not always like it. You may hate us from time to time, but I assure you, we will protect you from you. Many times when we think about protection as believers, we think we need to be protected from the enemy. How many of us know sometimes the biggest enemy I face is me? We need to be protected spiritually. Here's the second way we're protected. We're safer theologically. When we're a connected member of the local church. Look at what Paul says in Acts chapter 20 to the elders over the church in Ephesus. Acts chapter 20 verse 28. So guard yourselves and God's people. Speaking to the elders over the church of Ephesus. Feed and shepherd God's flock. His church purchased with his blood. Over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth 
in order to draw a following. Watch out. Over the last nearly 20 years that I've spent in ministry, I have heard some crazy things theologically from sheep. Crazy. I'm not going to mention them because I don't want anybody to be embarrassed by some of the things I've heard. Crazy things. I mean that this religion believes the exact same thing that we believe, and it would be like comparing tomatoes and watermelons, all right? Some crazy things. And every once in a while, I'll ask, where, where did you learn that? And every once in a while, I'll get this response. Well, a friend attached me to an email chain where a pastor was teaching this. Okay, just a free piece of advice. Never get your theology from an email chain. All right? Come straight to the book. Okay? And if you don't attend church here, that's okay. Attend a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-breaking-down, Bible-breathing church. I I loved worship this weekend because every word was just pregnant prophetically and theologically. I wanted to change my message during the second song. I really did. I wanted to just preach on the finished work of the cross. I found myself saying to the Lord, uh, can I preach this message next week and preach on the finished work of the cross? Because I am riled up right now. Why? Not just because the words were great. It's a theologically loaded song. I don't want to just come and sing. I want to sing scripture. What makes a song great to me is not its melody. It's its foundation. We need to be protected theologically. I need to be protected theologically. Because from time to time we might read something and think, oh, I know what that means. No, I don't always know what this means. And I need to be taught just like you do. And my theology has grown as I have grown as a believer in Jesus. I'll show you in scripture where this idea comes from, and we need to be protected theologically. First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Paul speaking to Timothy, but this is a message for me, for pastors, all right? Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. A big part of healthy pastoring involves strong theology. A big part. And I've just had too many conversations with people who, who hear something a little bit off the wall, a little bit crazy, and they think, oh, well, the person used the Bible to explain all of that stuff. It's got to be right. And then they walk around and start teaching it. One of the protective measures of this church, listen, We disfellowship people. One of the reasons we disfellowship people is not just divisive or contentious behavior. It's doctrinal error. It's one of the things God established the church to do, to protect us, not just spiritually, our souls, but theologically from that which is not true. Here's the second benefit I want to talk about. Membership makes it personal. Membership makes the church personal. Let me give you a couple of subpoints here, too. Here's the first one. 
one of the ways the church becomes personal when we become a member of the family is we fight together. We fight together. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Okay, a couple of weeks ago, uh, three weeks before Christmas, I stood before the church and I said, I felt like the Lord gave me a picture that we were standing as a church in front of a wall and he was calling us to 21 days of prayer and fasting to see not just a passageway through the wall to the next season, but to see the wall come down so that every church that, that comes after us doesn't have to bump into that same wall. And an amazing thing happened. Our family came together, rallied around what I felt the Lord showed me in my time with him, and everybody, many, I won't say everybody, many members of this family fought with me, okay? Here's one of the benefits of becoming a family member of the church of God. When the enemy picks a fight with you, he picks a fight with us. When you mess with me, you mess with my family. It's a benefit that comes with not being an attender of a local church, but being a family member of the local church. You mess with me, you mess with my family. Now, I don't have time to go through this, but read this week Joshua chapter 1. For those of you who are study nerds like I am, just go read Joshua chapter 1. And in it, there's several, Joshua is telling several of the tribes of Israel, hey, you've already gotten your land. You've already won your land. Everybody else, the other tribes, haven't won theirs yet. So you warriors, I want you to go fight with everybody else until they take their land. And when everybody's taken their land, you can go back home to yours. Okay, this is a beautiful principle that I believe applies to the church just as well. I don't stop fighting with the church once I've experienced victory. I'm not going to stop fighting with the family of God until everybody experiences victory. It's one of the benefits. We fight together. It becomes personal. Now, I was feeling this during worship, and so th this is not really a part of my message, but this is what the family of God does. So I just want to hit the pause button for a second on, on my message. Uh, I shared months ago that uh, Matt Bergenfeld, our worship pastor, has been having some, what I would say, debilitating back issues. Uh, if, if you watch him at all, I mean, the way he walked down the stairs today uh, holding the wall like he were 60 years older than he is and in very bad shape. And he's in a ton of pain, and yet he still keeps getting up and leading us all in worship. And personally, I'm getting tired of watching it. I really am. And I'm not talking about Matt. I'm talking about the enemy trying to attack Matt. And as we all know, one of the ways the enemy loves to attack is through our physical health. And so this, this is not a part of my message, but this is the perfect place. I've just been feeling this stirring, and, and I wasn't sure where it fit, but I, I, want, uh, I want to do something here. Matt, I want you to come up. Uh, he's in the back. I know he doesn't want me to do this. But while Matt's coming up, I want to do something. Um, because you go all the way back to the book of Exodus, God proclaims he's our healer. We didn't give him that name. He said, I'm your healer. I am the Lord your God, your healer. All right? Now, because he never changes... He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you believe God no longer heals, I challenge that theological position when you get deathly sick. 
when something happens to someone that you love. It's amazing how many people who don't believe in healing theologically all of a sudden start crying out to our God, our healer. Okay? Matt, come on up. And while Matt's coming up, I want to do something. If you're here today and you're experiencing a debilitating type, whether it's an injury or, or a, an affliction, I just want you to stand up where you are because we're going to take a moment as the family of God and we're going to pray over anybody who needs healing because here's what I'm praying. Matt was singing a song, prophesy like it's done. And when he, when he was singing it, I was thinking, I'm going to pray and I'm going to prophesy like it's done. Because he is the Lord our God, our healer. And so maybe you're new to our church. You've never been in a church that believed that God heals. Think about it. That's not weird. Okay? When my children get sick, I take them to the doctor. All right? Love wants to see you whole and healthy. God is love. And God said, I am the Lord your God, your healer. All right? So if you have someone around you, I just want you to reach out your hand towards them. And I want us to pray as a family. Listen. You pick on me, you pick on my family. You pick on Matt, you pick on me. You pick on you, you pick on me. The enemy comes after you, he's coming after me. So I want us all to pray as though the enemy were coming after us in the same way the enemy's coming after Matt, all right? Let's just take a moment and let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your healing power. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing on the earth. God, you are proving a point that you have all power. And one of the ways is with miraculously divine healings. And God, we just tell you, we believe. We don't believe in miracles. We believe in our miraculous God who has the ability, all power to perform every miracle. And so God, I pray right now over Matt and every person standing. Lord, as I lay my hands on Matt, I prophesy like it's done. I prophesy that Lord, as he goes over to Israel later this year, that he's not going to be in pain because he will have been healed before he gets on that airplane. I pray, Lord, that every time he touches his guitar, the enemy would be reminded of your power and your healing power and your love for Matt and every one of your children who's living in pain. Lord, I pray that you would heal, divinely heal Matt. The doctors have all taken their turn. Everybody has spoken into what they think is going wrong and what can or cannot happen. Now, God, I'm asking you to render your verdict. Render your verdict right now, God, that you stand over all. And every enemy that's tried to come against every person with a physical pain or affliction, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name they would flee. In Jesus' name they must go. And I thank you. And we stand in full faith that our God is our healer. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you will do. In Christ Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Thanks, buddy. Listen, we fight together. Matt doesn't fight alone. You don't fight alone. We fight together. Why would I casually attend a family like this? Every week is like a family reunion with an amazing family. We fight together. Go read Joshua 1. Go read Ecclesiastes 4. I don't have time to do it since I took all that time. But let me give you the second way in which the church becomes more personal when we become a family member of the local church. You're cared for. You're cared for. Committed, caring relationships among believers are at the heart of God's heart 
for the church. Committed, caring relationships among believers are at the heart of God's heart for the church. Now go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 24, 25, and 26. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all members care for each other. Watch this next verse. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Okay, does verse 26 say, if one part suffers, all the pastoral staff suffers with it? Is that what it says? Okay, it does not. The Bible tells us what kind of a family the church was meant to be. Not just the kind of family where the parents, quote unquote, take care of the children, but the type of family where every family member takes care of every other family member. When one part suffers, every other part suffers with it. Romans chapter 12, verse 13, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Family cares for family. When someone's hurting in this family and you find out about it, one of the most fun things to do is help meet the need that you see. I love to meet the needs of people outside of this church, but nothing is more fun to me than being a part of meeting the needs of the family members within this church. That's just fun. It's not fun that they're in need, but it's fun to get to represent the father as a fully functioning family member and helping to meet their need, all right? Becoming a family member of the bride of Christ, the local church, makes it more personal. Here's the third benefit. Membership brings the benefits of investment. Membership brings the benefits of investment. True or false? When a company does well, its investors do well, commensurate, with the level of investment they made in the company. True or false? Okay, true. Now, some of you are thinking, that, that's, that's worldly. That, that's, you know, that's the business world. That's how it works. The church is not a company. I agree. But it is a living organism. All right? Let me, let me just show you what Jesus talks about as he, he gives us his perspective and the Father's perspective on kingdom returns on investment and i'm not just talking about money kingdom returns on investment mark chapter 10 verse 28 then peter began to say to jesus see we have left all and followed you so jesus answered and said assuredly i say to you there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold return now in this time. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus is saying, anybody who gives up for my family is going to see a kingdom-sized return on investment in this life and in the life to come. Now, if you take that and you make it a, a get-rich-quick scheme, Preston's preaching the prosperity gospel. Don't put words in my mouth. No, I'm not. Neither is Jesus. But Jesus says, listen, I'm calling you to sacrifice. Peter says, we've sacrificed everything. Jesus says, yes, you have. 
And I've called you to this sacrifice, but let me just tell you, this is how it works in my father's family. Anybody who gives up anything for this family will see a return, a kingdom-sized return. Can you imagine a hundredfold return? If you brought me $10, all right, let's just think monetarily for a minute. If you brought me $10 and said, Preston, I want to invest this in you. And two years from now, I came back to you with a hundred times as much as you gave me and said, here's your return on investment. How would you feel about me? You'd probably give me another 10 bucks, right? (laughs) Maybe a little bit more if you're close to retirement age. Here, Preston, take it all. (laughs) Don't do that. I'm not saying that, all right? Don't, Don't cut out this part of the message. Put it on YouTube. Preston just said, if you're close to retirement, give it all. I did not. Sneaky little tricksters out there. (laughs) Jesus says, anybody who gives up for this family will see a return on investment. Listen, when he tells the parable of the three people trusted with investment to do something with it, one does nothing with it. The one who did nothing with it got in big trouble. And what was given to that steward was taken from that steward and given to the real stewards. Okay, in the same way, I will not get in on the blessing that is on God's church if I am not investing in it. Listen, let me, let me just clear this up for you for anyone who thinks I'm talking about money only right now. One of the easiest things to do in life is write a check. It's one of the easiest things to do is write a check to anybody. Think about it. When you have to buy a gift for someone, You've run out of time, what do you do? You give them cash. You don't go to the store and pick out something unique and special just for them. You just give them cash. Why? Because it's easy. It takes love and investment to put forth the effort to find the right gift. Listen, God's given you a special gift that the rest of his family needs to personally benefit from and grow as a result of. But it it will involve you personally investing your heart, your time, your talents, and your treasure. It will require those things. Here's the fourth and final benefit I want to cover, and we'll be done. Membership brings the benefits of unity. Membership brings the benefits of unity. In a world rife with division, I believe unity will stand out like a city on the highest hill. And I believe God desires the world to look towards the church and see a unified family that exists nowhere else outside of us. Let me just show you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other as the family of God. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. The church was never meant to be a room full of singles. The church was destined to be a family of single-minded family members. Now, when we're single-minded, 
Here's what it looks like. It looks like a straight line, all right? When, when as a family, we have one mind, as we just read in 1 Corinthians 1.10, one mind united in thought and purpose. When we're united in thought and purpose, single-mindedly so, it's like a straight line, all right? Now, picture this straight line, all right? Because what does it look like when we're not united as a family, okay? If, if there are people here, people here, people here, the camera guy's hating me right now from doing this, here, here, okay, straight line. But when we're not united, it looks like this. I'll do it this way so you can see. People here, people here, people over here in the darkness, People here, people here, people here, people here. Okay, you got the visual? Unity looks like a straight line. Division looks like what I just showed you. Remember that picture as I read Psalm 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of its garment or the hem of the garment. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord, watch this, commanded the blessing. Where unity is, God commands a blessing. He commands a blessing. He doesn't suggest a blessing. He commands a blessing. You see that? Wherever there is unity in the family, he commands a blessing. Life forevermore. Okay, I showed you the picture of what happens with a straight line. Verse 2 of Psalm 133 says, Unity is like the precious oil upon the head, running from the head, the beard of Aaron, down to the hem of the garment. Okay? So think, that's a straight line. All right? So the anointing oil representing God's blessing comes down from the head to the beard, straight line, down all the way, touching every part of the body, down to the hem of the garment. Here would be my question. If my hand is outside over here, is my hand underneath the anointing oil that started at the head and is flowing all the way to the hem of the garment? No. When God commands a blessing on the family of God that is unified, not divided, who gets in on that blessed anointing? Not those who are way out here. On all who are walking together as a family, united in thought and purpose single-mindedly so. Here's another way to say it. One of the dreams of my heart, since before I knew that God wanted me to come out here and start this church, is that I would be a part of a church that God would bless. And that every person who was united in thought, heart, and purpose would get in on that same blessing that God commanded on this house. That's not a privilege. 
that's a benefit. The privileged stand outside, far away from the heart of the house, hoping to receive the blessing God commands on a united family. Only those who are united as family get in on that blessing. And that is one of the big reasons why, if it's not here, if you look at this church and say, I don't want the anointing that's on this church, that's okay. Find a local church where the Holy Spirit leads you, where you connect, where it's family, where you can walk in unity with the brethren and the sisterin. It's a good old Texan right there. Plant roots there. Years ago, I had a friend, years ago, before I was here, uh, who was a great, great looking guy, worked out all the time, you know, just great, great guy, and was dating a great girl who'd been through some tough stuff, but was an amazing woman. And the two of them were living together. They were sleeping together outside of marriage and trying to enjoy all the benefits of marriage without the commitment. And I said to him, I, we, were, we were counseling, I, we were spending some time together and we'd have some counseling sessions from time to time. And I said, hey, why haven't you guys gotten married? I'll never forget his response. Good guy. I was in church every week. He said, why would I get married if I'm getting to enjoy all the benefits without any of the commitment? Okay, sinful statement, but honest. Press, why would I take on the burdens of that commitment if I'm getting to reap all of the benefits? I'll never forget what I felt like the Lord said in response to him through me. Two reasons. Number one, because it's not about doing what you want. It's about honoring God with your whole heart, with all your mind, all your strength, your whole life. It's about honoring God. And what you're doing is not honoring God. I didn't say that. He said that in Scripture. I said, but the second thing, a more important thing, in some areas, nothing's more important than honoring God. But what you will find probably more important than even honoring God is if you think that you have it good right now, living outside of God's will in relationship with this woman, watch what happens when you honor God by making a covenantal covenant commitment to her. I guarantee you that God gives you an anointing in those very areas of your life that far surpasses what you think you've been enjoying all these years. And a funny thing happened. He proposed a couple months later. They got married. They're still married. Have a couple of children. Great family. Really on fire for the Lord. Admittedly, where they were, they weren't at the time. Thought they were, but now they look back, they know they weren't. And I remember the day he came to me and he said, Press, I remember you saying that if I would honor God by doing it his way, that God would give me an anointing, a greater anointing, 
for even some of the things that I was doing in sin at the time. And he looked at me with the biggest grin in his face and he goes, you were right. I said, you know why? Because covenantal commitment makes every relationship better, stronger, more fulfilling. Okay, there are two types of relationship you can have with the church. A casual one or a covenantal one. And if you're wondering which type of relationship Jesus Christ desires you to have with his church, then I want you to ask the one who spilled his blood to pay for it. Jesus saw the church as being worthy of his very life. The church is not a place that you fit into your life. The church of God is the place where we come to lay our lives down for God in the building of his kingdom to the local church. So my question to you is, where's your relationship? Is it casual or is it covenantal? Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.